we haven't been prioritizing civility in discourse or human connection as much because we're in such a digital age. And so when all of a sudden you have the confidence to say whatever you want to say to someone digitally because you don't have to do it in person and you could avoid that person forever on and hide behind your screen, reflection and meditation is so important for civil discourse to be able to thrive. You have to take into account your own presence in conversations. You're getting angry. Are you getting defensive? Why do you get defensive about certain things? That reflection is really important. The second, I would say, is active listening. And again, that questioning of why there isn't enough to listen to because you need to understand understand people better. And that will inherently make you realize that you are not that different from people and that you are not incapable of finding common ground with people on topics that are really difficult or divisive. Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And today on the podcast, we have Milan Cordestani. Milan is an entrepreneur and author. He's also a three-time company founder focused on building sustainable businesses that drive positive social change at scale. The lack of civil discourse and constructive conversations motivated Milan, the 24-year-old three-time social entrepreneur, to create The Doe an anonymous digital publication promoting open-minded discussions and restoring civil discourse, God willing. It also led him to write, I'm just saying, a guide to maintaining civil discourse in an increasingly divided world. Milan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Mitch. Nice to meet you. Very, very excited. So you've got to tell us you're a 24-year-old entrepreneur, um, three-time social, social entrepreneur, Please tell us your background, your passion, and your motivation to create the dough. Tell us a little bit about the dough. But what, you know, where are you coming from? Because probably one of the youngest guys we have on our show. So I'm from the Bay Area. Uh, I'm first gen from Iranian immigrant parents. And I, you know, I, from one side of it, I've always had to be really good and or had to figure out how to navigate challenging conversation um, from, you know, just being different. But from another aspect, it was through an average Gen Z life experience, which is growing up in an age of digital communication being more dominant than perhaps in-person communication and seeing both the good and bad that's evolved from that. And so um, I, so I grew up in the Bay Area. You know, my before I graduated high school, my first business was uh, raising chickens, selling eggs, growing saffron, a Iranian spice that we use a lot and selling that. And, uh, and doing that got me into writing about the agriculture industry, which was my gateway into um, writing and publishing. And so I did that for several years. I wrote for the Huffington Post. I wrote for Entrepreneur. Um, and, you know, the dough was the second startup I had built while I was in college. Uh, and I created the dough because I got so tired of everything that myself and other people were publishing. It felt surface level. It felt boring. It felt like we were not having real conversations, but we were just trying to put content out there for brand building, for, you know, to, to fall in line with what the publisher wanted us to say, just being, you know, grateful to have a platform. And 
that was how we were made to feel in like an era of like deplatforming people. It was like, okay, you should just put out content. Don't push the boundaries too far. And that was why I created a publication called The Doe. And, it, you know, it plays on John Doe, Jane Doe. This idea that um, through anonymous publishing, we can remove all the ego, all the chance of canceling someone and just say, what is the idea that they are putting out in the world? You know, we're, we're publishing because we believe there is value. So we're going to back it from that standpoint. But why does this perspective matter in the world? Like, what conversations can it spark? And that's it. And that's what we have to be doing as a society is conducting civil discourse around challenging, uncomfortable, difficult topics and, uh, you know, doing that in a really solution oriented way without just tearing people apart and canceling them. Great. We're going to definitely talk about that all today. And, and hopefully you'll have uh, some insights for us and also some suge suggestions for us. But I just got to go back. So chickens and saffron led to <laughs> led to writing. Uh. How did that happen? So I think I found writing as like a, you know, a tool of expression. People, some people have art, some people have music, play instruments and so on. For me, it was, it was writing. And, um, I felt like there were not a lot of youth perspectives in the agriculture industry. And at the time I really thought that I was going to go into the agriculture industry and that would be my future it was like, I was like, I don't want to work in tech. Uh, I want to get as far from tech as possible. And like, you know live in my own little piece, being a farmer of sorts. But no, there were bigger dreams than that. But nonetheless, the agriculture industry, and I felt that there weren't enough youth perspectives. And so it was like, I, sh I should start sharing mine. And it was very quickly, like when you start putting your perspective out in the world, you get responses from people. And that's, you know, where like all the complexity lies. Great. No, that's, that's so, so great. It's so interesting. When my, uh, when my family moved to this country, it was all about eggs as well. It was like the first, the first big industry for my country was eggs, for my country was eggs. So it's great. So, okay. So let's go to civil discourse. Um, it's pretty awful. Um, it's sometimes non-existent when it is, when it does exist. I don't know if we call it discourse because it's a lot of shouting and yelling and canceling. And so from your perspective, where, why is there so much discourse, civil discourse today? There's a lack of civil discourse today. There's a lack of civil discourse today, yes. I think that this exists because we haven't been prioritizing civility uh, in discourse or human connection as much because we're in such a digital age. And so when all of a sudden you have the confidence to say whatever you want to say to someone digitally because you don't have to do it in person and you could avoid that person forever on and so on like and hide behind your screen, you know, there's there's one aspect of it there. But the other is that we're truly missing like the nuances of being able to connect with people that are different from us when we're, you know, um, when we're living in this digital bubble at all times. So it's, it's complex. One part of it is the lack of communication with people. Another part of it is too much information coming to us at one time to feel like you have to have an opinion and respond to everything immediately. Um, there's, there's several facets to why I think we have a lot of incivility today. He said, um, he said, uh, there's a lot of confidence to say something digitally. Do you, is that called confidence? Is it confidence when I can um, shout to the world my opinions on um, anything and no one knows who I am? It's keyboard courage is what, what the coin term is for it now. <laughs> is that what it is? It's called keyboard courage, mm -hmm. which is not courageous, by the way. I agree. I think it's not courageous, right? Because you're, you're hiding um, to an extent behind a screen or... But it, the idea is that you gain the courage from your keyboard, right? Like you say something you would otherwise never have the courage to say. 
So it's interesting. So it's it's kind of like as, as a leadership coach, uh, as a human, we we talk so much about vulnerability. It seems like the opposite of vulnerability because you know what we find are, you know, if I want to ask you for your opinion, you're most likely not going to tell me. But if you go away to your keyboard, you'll tell. You might tell me. You might tell a lot of people. But it's it's actually not very vulnerable because there's no there's no risk in it. Right. And vulnerability is so important in civil discourse because it's almost the entirety of how we create connection with people, right? Like, especially when you disagree with someone on a topic, one of the lessons I advocate for is continually asking someone why, because you're trying to understand their perspective. You're trying to understand how they got to that perspective that you might disagree with. But if you can kind of understand them as a, on a human level, you know, and they are willing to be vulnerable, tell you more and walk you through, um, you'll probably be able to connect and, and eventually from there go and find common ground. Do you think, um, you're a Gen Z, right? Um, I have a bunch of Gen Zs in my household. Do you think the Gen Z, um, your generation is going to say enough is enough, I, I can't take it anymore and and actually help the rest of us? I mean, there's, there's the, the generation that used to, you know, before the internet, who used to just talk to each other and then there's a generation, then there's your generation, which we're hoping uh, could say enough of this stuff. Why don't we just all be humans again? I don't, you know, what, what's your, what's your thoughts on that, Milan? I, I can't say exactly on which uh, generational divide it will fall on, but I do believe that there is going to be a generation that's going to be looking up at their parents saying, your whole life is public, your whole life is spent kind of digitally on the phone, overstimulated too much information and so on that's going to say no like we uh we don't want to be constantly on our phones we don't constantly want to be have our whole childhoods and adulthoods be monetized via content um i think that'll be a really interesting pivot that'll come about but even now i think with gen z and my generation the one thing i do know exists today is there was a lot of hesitance to want to be wrong or to say something out of turn and thus People are not taking risks in, in what they're saying, and we're not challenging ideas as much. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, when it when you live in a world where the mob can cancel anyone, you know, even with the best of intentions, asking it questions, being curious, trying to learn more information can get you in trouble. Uh, I think, you know, it's going to create a lot of mental health issues. It's going to create a lot of lack of progress in society is, is ultimately the biggest issue with this. Great. So we're looking to people like you to publish books like, here's your book. Um, I'm just saying, so a guide to maintaining civil discourse in an increasingly divided world. Um, congratulations. Uh, as a 24 year old author, there's, you know, so many people out there like you, which is great. It's a, it's a great book. Um, tell us what was the impetus, the inspiration for writing. I'm just saying, and, um, what does it help us with and why should we read it? I wrote, I'm just saying, because we just talked about how important vulnerability is in creating connection with people. And that this was my attempt at that. It was to be vulnerable, to tell stories from my own life, to talk about people who have inspired me, to make me care about civil discourse, all to, at the end of the day, get the reader to care that they should be trying to conduct civil discourse in their life. They should be trying to create great connections with not just people that they know and love, but anyone they come across in their lifetime that may be, you know, a, a gut reaction, they might think they're different, but then give them that opportunity because ultimately when we come together, despite our differences, 
you know, it, the impact is greater. Um, that's why we always advocate for diversity. Of course, I'm sure you do as well. And like the workplace and so on, like it's, it's because those diverse opinions end up making greater products, greater solutions, um, a greater world. So that was the point of the book, you know, it's help inspire people to show up better to conversations at an individual level. What are the principles you have for creating dialogue amongst people who vehemently disagree? So what, you know, if someone says, I'm not even going to read your book because I already know I don't like you or agree with you. So how do you help your generation, our generation, every generation to, um, I don't know, to stand up? Um, because, because I think for a lot of it is, you know, if, if uh, you and I disagree and I tell you, Milan, no matter what you say, I am not going to listen to you. Right. I'm, you know, I've already decided the, the world is flat and, um, and, uh, there is no, whatever, I don't want to say anything that'll offend anybody, but you know, the world's flat, like hopefully what doesn't offend anybody. And no matter what you say, I will not listen to you. What, what do you, what do we do with that? Cause there's a lot of people who are in that scenario. I'd ask you if you're really lonely. Um, <laughs> that is because, so good. Milan, that you know, is so good. That's great. Touche. The, the, here's the truth. Like this book, when I wrote it, I didn't have, I think of it for a category. I wrote the book because I, I believe civil discourse matters. People need to know this is a term. There's a term for this and all of, you know, all of the things that matter. But the, what ended up happening was they put this book in the anger management and mood disorders and, and, and uh, self-help category. And, and I ended up realizing how important that was because a lot of times this incivility, it, the way to get to people is to ask them, like, how is their mental health? Because it's usually not good. If you are incivil, you are often angry. You are often upset. You, you know, you have, if you are judging others all the time and thinking that they are so different from you, uh, you are probably internally judging yourself a lot. And so, you know, recently the CDC came out and said, we have a loneliness epidemic in this country. And I truly believe that that is like the crux of civil discourse or like it points to civil discourse and the importance of it because if you are not able to conduct these types of conversations in your life, if you're not able to connect with people through conversation and you're always angry and you're always defensive and you know, you are, I, I believe you are a miserable person. And so, yes, that's what I would ask you. Are you lonely? I believe you're a miserable person. Probably, probably make you, make me not want to uh, listen anymore to you unless, unless it, if I, unless it hits me, you know, it really, really hits me. But it's hard to listen, you know, when you're angry. You're usually thinking of the next thing you want to be saying. And that that's part of the problem of, like, kind of jolting someone and being like, are, are you okay? Like, is this, um, you know, why are you defending this? Like, do you actually care about what you're fighting against right now? Or are you, is this just become a part of your identity and you can't let it go right now? Um, now, that's a little bit like, you don't want to be rude, uh, but... <laughs> And so that's why I advocate for like the main question people should think about asking to conduct civil discourse when they're getting angry, when they're getting defensive, is to think of that like third grade child that is just constantly asking why, um, you know, like, wow, that's a really tall, tall tree. Why is it so tall? Well, trees, this tree probably had more water than the rest. Why did it have more water than the rest? Just why all the way. And when you do that with a person, um, you know, like I mentioned a little bit earlier on in this call, like you end up getting so much perspective on why they are the person that they are. And it gives you a little bit more empathy for them because, you know, understanding people inevitably 
gives you that empathy to be able to connect better. Hey, we're taking a quick break to remind you to support our podcast by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a review. Your feedback means the world to us and it helps us continue to bring you more engaging and thought-provoking content for leadership and remote work. It's been said that, um, you know, it's hard for us these days to find our heroes in, um, in, our, in our athletes, in our politicians, um, and sometimes with our teachers, sometimes with our uh, religious, um, um, you know, advisors. It's hard to find a lot, a lot of times, uh, you know, that ethical vein, um, someone telling us, you know, connecting with people is important and listening to people is important and civil discourse is important. So what do you think it's going to take? It's going to be, again, back as your generation. What do you think it's going to take to turn the tide on something that seems like it's really out of the bottle? Um, and, and and dangerous um, and exploding and seems to be getting worse. I think you are so spot on by pointing to the leaders being the problem. If we're not inspiring people to care about connecting with each other, to not see each other as so different from one another, um, are leaders being so divisive? Like, I get it. It sells. Like, even at the Doe, the more, most controversial stories we'd publish would garner the most clicks. But... A lot of times, like if that's all you're doing it for is to sell, like it's at the expense of people's sanity and happiness and um, just being a progressive society. So what I think it's going to take uh, is a generation of, you know, hundreds of people who are Mr. Rogerses and Oprah Winfrey's and, you know, so on. People that can literally inspire you to see the importance of connecting with other people, giving someone the benefit of the doubt and difficult conversation. And I think it's going to be seeing a lot of people's heroes get canceled for things that are not cancelable um, or that shouldn't be cancelable. You know, it's there's a lot of reasons to cancel someone and oftentimes it can be, I suppose, valid. But I think of people like J.K. Rowling, for example, and how, you know, for her, she was it was it was a women's right questions that she was asking about, like, should should we be, you know, allowing children to make decisions about their gender at this or this, their sex at this young of an age and so on. And she just got completely canceled for that. You know, like they burned her books, they removed her from, you know, uh, classrooms and so on. And it's. I think seeing that happen, a generation of people's heroes get canceled who, you know, for things that, for just asking questions, um, that's that's going to be really hard. And I think that will push people to want to care a bit more. So help me with that. Help, I'm with you. Milan, I'm with you. Help me with um, how you would see a shift or, because I do think that, um, you know, civil discourse is being able to say, you know, help me understand why this is good or this is bad and i'm just asking a question right that's aristotle and socrates um what will it take again for what what movement do you think would happen where someone would say you know this is this is not okay we have no heroes um i have no friends um because you know because um with seven billion people on the on the planet each of those seven billion has their own viewpoint right which is not the same viewpoint as somebody else. And so I'm just looking for what it's going to take for 
for a generation to say, stop it. You know, I want to, I'm just so lonely. I want to just connect to people and support people being human again. I think it's going to take the mental health crisis. Um, and I think we're, we're, we're getting into it now. You know, I think that the declaration of a loneliness epidemic is really interesting. And I think being a uh, global society now, we can connect with anyone anywhere in the world instantly. You know, there is so much diversity of thought and stories that are being told all the time that it's, it's a lot to grapple with. And we have to start teaching in schools, you know, how to how to be able to deal with all of that information and how to be able to um, develop your own opinion and, and what to do with that opinion and where to put it, because everything on the Internet is permanent. And so, you know, it's it starts with teaching it in school and, and such. But I think what it's going to take for people to really want to teach it in schools, want to prioritize it in culture and in society and in their parenting, uh, it's going to be the mental health epidemic because being lonely, being isolated, I think of like the people who moderate Wikipedia that just like sit in the, you know, their basements. Like it's just, <laughs> it's a lot of, um, I don't know, loneliness. Anxiety also, like the anxiety around connecting with people that are different from yourself. Uh, I think we have a generation, like my generation is very anxious. <laughs> Your generation is very anxious. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the contrast with, um, I have, you know, there's 7 billion people that I can, um, quote, quote, unquote, connect with almost at any time. And yet I have no connections with all those 7 billion. You know, it's that, that contrast. Um, and then your, the declaration of a loneliness epidemic, you know, it's, it's the epidemic exists, but nobody's really like, you know, I know there are some people raising the flag and, uh, I, you know, I'm one of them and yet, you know what, it's, uh, it's because social, what's, um, it's such a social stigma to say I'm, I'm lonely, right? Cause that would actually force me to connect with someone. Um, and, and what we do know about loneliness is that loneliness causes, causes us to take actions to forward more loneliness it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy um a little bit and you're right no it's still there's still stigma around you know talking about mental health and i think that's part of the issue as well right like if you don't want to talk about it then that it's going to further your loneliness it's feeling like you're suffering alone uh, the fact that there is an epidemic you know i mean it, we should know it's not it's not uncommon it's more common than not uh what's Interesting, though, is it is quite specific to this country um, and, and a lot of Western societies that are individualistic societies. When we look at like these collective cultures, their problem is more like anxiety and fear of rejection from their communities and such for messing up, not being able to meet standards and so on. And I think that that difference is important to pay attention to because, you know, it's not to say those cultures don't have mental health issues either, but it's, it's nuanced. Yeah, I know it's different. It's uh, I've lived in the Middle East. Your, you know, your your family comes in the Middle East. It's a lot different there. It's community is is important. It's an important element. Okay, so what are some strategies that you're proposing that can help the listener, um, who can help you know the listener just with his with uh, his or her own ability to have um, more inclusive conversations, greater civil discourse, and then maybe any prompts for. Uh, you know, anybody of any age listening to this podcast as to what you can do to kind of um, 
enhance and promote more civil discourse? So the first, uh, I would give, I'll give two tools. The first is like an internal one, which is reflection and meditation is so important uh, for civil discourse to be able to thrive. You have to take into account your own, your own presence in conversations. You're getting angry. Are you getting defensive? Uh, why do you get defensive about certain things? That reflection is really important. So instead of standing in the shower and thinking how you could have re-said that argument so that you would have been right and proven your point, think about why you care so much about proving that point. Um, and then the second, I would say, is is active listening. And again, that questioning of why, if, if there isn't enough to listen to, because you need to understand people better. Uh, and that will Im inherently make you realize that you are not that different from people and that you are not incapable of finding common ground with people on topics that are really difficult or divisive. So practicing and cultivating the skill of active listening. You're not listening to come up with your own argument or to respond quickly or to seem smart or be right. Uh, it's listening so that you can understand someone better, so you can connect with them better, and hopefully by the end of it, come to a better place, um, You know, find some common ground. And that's especially important with people in your life who you love because you do not want to be divided from those people. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I learned is, you know, I can listen to you and I can share where you are, but I don't have to necessarily agree with you, you know. But the, the point is, if I can't even listen to you, then, yeah, we, we have no connection. So what are um, what are some projects that you're working on or some products that you're working on right now to support your mission to, um, to change the world? Great question. So uh, there's one company I founded called Noda, and that company works with, uh, publishers, we work with Baltimore Banner, we work with um, the Chicago Tribune, a couple publicly traded companies that are holding companies for publications, and we're helping them scale their content. So we're trying to make sure that um, perspectives are getting amplified everywhere that people are. Articles from a lot of these most amazing local news publishers and so on are not being seen on social media because they're they're written first, and we live in a video first age or audio first, and so using AI to quickly get those out is um, really important. And so that's a company called Noda. You can find that at heynota.com. What is that? H-E-H-E-Y-N-O-T-A.com? That's correct. And then there's another company uh, or a nonprofit I'm working on. It has not yet come to life or it, it slowly will come to life throughout this year, um, but it's, it's growing out of the dough. And the dough being that publication that was focused on anonymous publishing of, of um, uh, marginalized voices, we want to expand that mission a bit to support other publications that are doing similar work that aren't just anonymous. And so doing that through a nonprofit is, is most logical because we want it to be for the community, funded by the community, and to not be um, focused on just you know, revenue generation. And that's super important because these publishers do great work, but they are a little bit beholden on the clicks right now. So before we go, I want to know, um, are there any stories or observations um, where you've witnessed people using your material? So you've seen someone who, again, is a was a, a flat a flat earth believer actually listen to someone who actually believes the crazy notion that the world is a globe. So, um, you know, have you seen some of your methodologies work and what has, what has happened? I have. Um, so we published a lot of stories. We published a lot of stories from the LGBTQ community and it was always really interesting to see people come and say, 
oh, wow, this is how my cousin feels and lives their life every time I, I treat them this way or say this to them or so on, you know, and this is what their life is like. Um, that, again, seeing someone's perspective from their eyes is so important. I'll give you a really specific one, which is we had a father come and talk about how he got married and had children and never didn't really want to get married, but really didn't want to have children. And the kids are now, you know, at the time of publishing the story a couple of years ago, they were like 14 and 16 years old. And uh, he said he still doesn't love his children to this day, regrets having had children. And on, at the surface, you would think, wow, like, that's horrible. Uh, but what was really amazing about that was you have to think about the loneliness part of it, which is that now all of a sudden we had a thousand different men come into the comment section saying, I feel the same way. I thought I was alone and a horrible person. And thank you for showing me this and like talking to me about how you cope with it and like find ways to be an amazing father despite struggling to care sometimes and and so on. And so, you know, it's it's really interesting to see like the different um different walks of life that are out there and the perspectives that are there. So doing that, allowing people to find connection uh, is, is I think helpful. Yeah. It seems to me that that's, that's your, that's the vein here is providing outlets for people to be accepted um, for whatever they're thinking because they're lonely. And perhaps the reason why they're so crazy about this person or that person or this type of um, idea is because internally there's a there's a there's a missing element there's a loneliness that to work through that part to get people to to be closer together great so you've given us a, a couple ways to connect with you so heynota.com h-e-y-n-o-t-a.com how else can we reach out and join join your movement let's just say milan yes uh, you could find me on all social media at milan cordestani or milan i have a newsletter as well um, please support the book. Uh, the, you know, the writing is one possible, but the companies are of course another, but yeah, please connect with me. And, you know, I'm putting out content on all social media at all times. So <laughs> just talking about these issues, I think is really important. Getting people to care. That's, that's cool. I believe that this is just beginning for you. I, I can see, you know, over the years, you're going to be a, a force to reckon with here in uh, the U S and around the world. Thank you so much, Milan, for your time. And thank you so much for your passion and your care and your vulnerability. Um, thank you to our listeners. Uh, please uh, go ahead, share this episode with your friends, your family, your colleagues, and we'll see you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere. Before we sign off for today, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your support helps us grow, and by subscribing, you'll be the first to know when our exciting next episode is available. 